Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. I'm Connor DeLynn. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to react to election night and uh, the day after the election. And still, as I'm recording this on Wednesday night at about 6 p.m., we still don't have a declared winner. I think a lot of people were expecting that going into the day. Uh, we talked about that all the way back in episode 26 of being prepared to not know who wins for sure on election night. And it looks like that uh, proved to be the case. With that said... It looks like Joe Biden's going to win this thing. Uh, I would I would put the probability right now at about 96% that Joe Biden is going to win. Now, I know as I'm recording this, uh, Trump still does have a very slim and unlikely chance to victory, and that's if he wins both Nevada and Pennsylvania. Uh, he'd have to flip Nevada and ultimately retain the lead that he has in Pennsylvania with a lot of, le- uh, lot of votes left there. Um, or I guess the other way for Trump's path to victory is to fight like hell, go to the Supreme Court, do a recount, find some serious fraud, overturn the election, and Donald Trump has found the winner. So I guess there's two very unlikely paths to Donald Trump's uh, victory here in the 2020 election. Uh, We're going to kind of do this episode under the assumption of Joe Biden winning, but understanding that that hasn't been totally decided yet. So I've gotten so many of you that have reached out over the last little bit asking me my thoughts and feelings. I have to apologize to those of you today that I haven't gotten back to. Uh, My phone and Instagram and Facebook, as you can imagine, have been pretty busy, which I love. Please do not ever hesitate to send me a question or reach out. Uh, Like I always say, if you take the time to listen to my podcast, I will absolutely take the time to respond but I just haven't gotten back to you yet if that's the case for a lot of you that uh, have messaged me today. I, like you, have been trying to process all of this and kind of prep for what I was going to say today. So that's what we're going to do. And uh, to kind of put myself in a state that's a little bit more fun, because I don't think anyone, really no matter what side of the aisle you're on, has had any fun over the last 24 hours. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, for those of you that know me pretty well, you know that I'm a huge Tiger Woods fan. Uh, If you just listened to the podcast, you wouldn't know that about me. But my dad's a golf pro. I was raised in a golf family. I love golf and we love Tiger Woods. And uh, one of the coolest moments of my life uh, and kind of an early memory that I had uh, was going to watch Tiger Woods. I watched him back in 2001 at the US Open and being like nine years old and seeing this guy that just had this presence that I had never seen anything like that before. Like everyone knows when you look at Tiger Woods, you know, he's wearing that red shirt, the black pants, the black hat with the big Nike swoosh on it. Everything about Tiger Woods is just Tiger, right? And you know what you're going to get when it comes to Tiger. He's an iconic figure. And most people have strong feelings toward Tiger Woods. You either love the guy or you hate the guy. And honestly, in the times that I have met Donald Trump, I've talked about, you know, the two different times that I met him and actually shaked his hand, uh, shook his hand, excuse me. And then when I uh, went to the Mount Rushmore July 4th event, seeing him there as well, 
Honestly, Donald Trump and Tiger Woods are the two people in my life that I have seen in person that both of them gave me just like this, oh, I'm in the presence of a superstar because this is just an iconic generational figure that everyone remembers. And one of my greatest Tiger Woods memories, I, I go to majors all the time. I've been to the Masters. I've been to the PGA Championship like six or seven times uh, with my dad and other family members. And I went to the U.S. Open in 2008. It was in Torrey Pines outside of San Diego. And uh, for those of you that are golf fans, this is the tournament that Tiger Woods won when he basically had a torn MCL and a torn ACL. Uh, like he was on his knees after hitting a few shots and played through the pain and ultimately won this major in 2008. It was an incredible victory. But the climax of the 2008 U.S. Open came on Sunday afternoon. Tiger Woods had gotten behind and he had to make a rally on the back nine on Sunday to just force a playoff, to tie a person that had already come in with, a, with the lowest score. And in order to do that, the stage was set perfect for Tiger. He had to birdie the 18th hole on Sunday at a major uh, to have a chance at winning. And so he gives himself about a 10 to, eh, it was probably about a 12 to 15 foot putt. Not an easy putt. If he makes the putt, he forces a playoff and is going to have a chance to win. And all eyes were on Tiger, just the way that Tiger's used to it. And he hits the putt. It goes in. The crowd goes wild. And the commentator gives an epic call that still is, you know, just it has this total reputation in the golf world. And he says, expect anything different? And the crowd goes crazy. And I love that line because if you know Tiger Woods, like you just know he's going to make that putt. That's what Tiger does. He wins tournaments. He makes the putt on Sunday. He closes you out. He demoralizes the competition. Expect anything different. And Tiger delivers. Now, here's why that phrase of expect anything different has been going through my mind over the last 24 hours. Two reasons. First off, Trump is Trump. I still can't believe how many times you see commentators that'll say things like, oh, well, if Trump were to just do this, or if Donald Trump were to come out and say, the election will be figured out like this, and if we count this, and if you do this, or if Donald Trump were to reach over the other aisle and say something like this, and you almost want to laugh at these political pundits because we all know Trump's never going to do that. It's Donald Trump. And what we saw in Donald Trump's reaction to last night and how he has reacted today is exactly what you would expect Donald Trump to do. And here's what's crazy. You either absolutely love it or you hate it. Just like Tiger Woods, you know what to expect from Tiger. With Donald Trump, you know what to expect with Donald Trump. And that's what we saw now, here's what's interesting. Uh, a few episodes ago, uh, when I basically talked about trying to make some sense of all of this, making your final decision and the different factors that come into play, we talked about personality specifically. And I said, typically, I think personality is the one that's simple to just look at and know 
well, yeah, do I like that person or not? Or that person connects with me, or I feel that they're genuine or authentic, or they're funny, they're attractive, they're good looking, whatever it is. The personality argument with Donald Trump is still, I think, a question mark. You either say, well, Trump is Trump, let him be himself. He wouldn't have gotten to that place in the first place. He wouldn't have won the election in 16 had he not just been him. So just let him do his thing. Or, you know, and by the way, you may think that his personality is a positive in that he's a Washington outsider. He's coming in. He's going to get things done. He's going to rile. He's going to ruffle feathers. He's going to rile things up and he's going to make it happen. Maybe his personality is his greatest strength. Or maybe Donald Trump's personality is the reason that we as a country feel more divided than ever right now. Maybe it's the reason that we feel we can't have civil discourse. Maybe it's the reason we feel that anyone that thinks differently than us must be wrong. And they're not even worth listening to. And does that personality from the leader of the free world and the leader of the greatest nation in the world, which I still stand by, does that personality make an effect on Americans and on the globe? And I think the answer to that is yes. And that's why I made this argument earlier on about personality can't be something that you ignore. It has to be something that's factored into your decision for president of the United States. The president's personality, more than any other person that holds public office in this country, matters. Because that's who we look to. That's who speaks from the resolute desk in the Oval Office. That's who we turn to when times are tough or when we're in times of confusion or under attack, whatever it might be. Personality matters. Now, it's not the only thing. If you placed your ballot the other day because you believe more in policy, uh, you know, you believe in the policies, this, and you, you chose to look past the personality, great. A lot of people did that throughout the country. Maybe it's more of a philosophical thing and you're just looking at the big picture and this is where you wanted to head and that was the candidate that uh, matched you the very most or you looked at the philosophy of the other side and were like, ah, I can't do that at all. And that's why you placed your vote. That's great. Like you've got to make up your mind there, but this is the argument that I am wrestling with here as a millennial in the middle and like I'm sure many of you here today are wrestling with. So that's the first, like expect anything different. Trump last night was Trump. If you followed Twitter on, if you follow Twitter uh, and have seen what Trump, Trump has put out today, Trump is Trump. And I, uh, man, someone still, what kind of president would be, would Trump be if he didn't have Twitter? I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's a question for another day. But the other reason I want to talk about this expect anything different is we've also learned that in 16, the polls just got it totally wrong. And Donald Trump proved everybody wrong. Well, guess what? He did it again. Now, he's probably not going to win. He's not going to pull off the straight flush and, you know, uh, pull off all the states he needed. But the polls were completely wrong. And he proved everyone, you know, to be either biased or hiding their true thoughts, whatever it was. Again, he did that. And then lastly, expect anything different in 2020. This year has been messy 
It's been one of confusion. It's been one that we're still trying to swallow and process and figure out to see where we're at. To stick with my golf analogy, I think how last night went is par for the course for 2020. Expect anything different, right? So here's what I want to talk about today. I'm just going to go through a few of my thoughts and kind of show you where I end up lying here. I, this is still raw. This is still fresh. Uh, I'm trying, like, I have been emotional today like America has. You cannot help watching election night and being emotional. It is a charged event. And anytime everyone in the world is watching the same thing, tensions are there, right? I mean, isn't it crazy if any of you like went to lunch today or were at the workplace, do you ever like sit at your table at lunch and look around and start to listen to other conversations? You know, everyone else is talking about the same exact thing. That was my experience at lunch today. That's where we are as a nation. So what I'm going to go through today is by no means, you know, truth or fact. This is just me trying to process a lot of what we've seen so far. And I'm going to talk about three different things. First off, I'm going to talk about what Biden did right and what the Trump camp did wrong. Second, we're going to talk about the polls. And with the polls being so wrong, what does that mean for us today? And then lastly, what happened last night, I believe is the worst possible scenario for the United States of America. And that has nothing to do with who won. It has everything to do with how they won and how it has been handled and is going to be handled. We'll talk about the fraud. We're going to get, I'll give you my thoughts on that and Hopefully it serves as a little guide and maybe just a little bit of, yeah, I, I don't know, just a way to work through the next few weeks that are going to be possibly more contentious than ever. So let's talk about, first off, what did Biden do right? What did the Democratic strategy do right? We've talked about several times on this episode. The Democrats, they messed up in 2016, right? In 2016, from all the polls, they had the biggest lead ever. They were going against someone that they thought was just going to be a breeze to get through. You know, like there's no way that Donald Trump becomes president, right? And what did they do? They elected Hillary or they nominated Hillary Clinton, who is a very divisive figure. If anything was proven last night, it really just cemented that thought of, Hillary Clinton was really unlikable and a lot of people did not want to vote for her. So what did the Dems say they had to do? Well, we have to find someone that is more neutral, that isn't going to turn people off, that can appeal to those in the middle. And they did that with Joe Biden. Now, the other thing that they realized they had to do, they realized that their best case for victory or their best chance to pull this off in a route that was going to work in the Electoral College map was to turn Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Those four states have pretty similar demographics. They didn't need to switch all of them, but they needed to switch over a couple of them. And it looks so far that they have 
uh, turned Michigan. They've turned Wisconsin. They got a little surprise in Arizona, even though I know that's not completely done yet. Uh, and maybe more votes will come out there and maybe it'll switch to Trump. It's probably not going to matter, even if it does. But if that's the case, um, and honestly, I think there's a very good chance that Pennsylvania still uh, still goes blue. Uh, I know that Trump has a big lead there, but if it's true that a majority of those votes that are yet to be counted, if not all, are mail-in ballots, I think it's pretty safe to say Joe Biden might win Pennsylvania as well. So the Dem strategy worked. Picking Joe Biden, picking a guy that was going to be neutral, that could talk to the heart of America, factory workers, be more relatable, it, it, they pulled it off. I think what's interesting here is I think Trump would have beat Bernie. I think he would have beat Elizabeth Warren. I think he would have beat uh, Kamala Harris or Mayor Pete. He would have had them all. But Joe was the right guy to pull off the strategy they went for. They decided to, the, to run the do no harm campaign, to let the media run the campaign for them, to lay back and let Trump self-implode. So far, it's looking like that took place. Now, the other thing that the Democrat strategy uh, paid off, and this is what I feel like we haven't quite talked about enough in the last little bit that I've heard about, is we had a record-breaking number of votes as a nation placed yesterday. Uh, I think over 150 million people that voted, the highest vote count we have ever had. Now, to speak in very general terms, the higher the vote count, the larger the advantage to the Democratic Party. Just with the demographics of the two parties and the types of voters that they both have, Republican voters are typically more loyal. They will go to the polls. They're going to vote every time. For a lot of Republicans, it's not even an option of like, will I or will I vote this year? They show up. While often the Democrats... Their, their worst enemy is low voter turnout, especially in the major cities, especially in big cities that often don't come out to vote in big ways. And that's what happened to them in 2016. They didn't get the type of victory they needed in places like a Cleveland, Ohio, or a Detroit, Michigan, or a Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So what do the Democrats do? They said, well, we had to come up with as good of a way as we can to get more people voting. And they made a huge push on early voting and mail-in ballots. And uh, like in Pennsylvania, for example, I think of the mail-in ballots that have been counted up to this point, 78% of those went to Joe Biden. Now, that tells me a couple things. One, by making it easier for people to vote, more people vote. Now, I've got to be honest here, like mail-in voting and absentee ballots aren't a bad thing. That is not cheating. That is not inherently a way to steal the election. No, it's a way to make more people have the chance to vote. And the argument that the Democrats have used for years now, as often Republicans have made it more difficult and more hoops to jump through to vote, has been that... Hey, in a true democracy, we should make it as easy as possible. Now, there is a balance to that. 
The flip side is, yeah, we could all vote for president by sending a text on our phone of who would you like to vote for? Or vote T for Trump or B for Biden. You send a text off and it's counted. How many more millions of people would vote if you could do it over a text? Or it was some survey sent to your email, right? There has to be lines drawn there, which have been. But as technology increases, as the world increases, as we become more digital, it's going to become increasingly easier for people to vote. And the Republican Party has to learn how to work with that, right? So if you're going to make comments about like, oh, this mail-in ballot stuff, it, it just, it's it's undemocratic. This, that, like, no, that's false. There's the rules. We have it. We have the absentee ballots. We've had those forever with military men and all these different people, whatever it might be. And mailing in your ballot isn't inherently bad. Okay. Uh, At the end of the day, it got enough Democrats out to vote. But here's the other piece that's so important with this. Where I think at the end of the day, if you were to point to where Trump got this wrong, I at this point can't underestimate the importance of that first presidential debate. The one that the whole world watched and tuned into and just well, like, oh, that was so bad. The most important time in a presidential election, and I said this in my first reaction, my reaction to the first debate, where we talked about the first debate ever in 1960, presidential debate between the two major candidates. There had been other debates, but this is the first time like that between Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy and millions of Americans tuned in and really talking about how the first 15 minutes of that first debate is where people tune in. If you did nothing else, you didn't read any of the articles, you didn't ever watch a campaign speech, you didn't go follow it, but you said, I'm going to tune in to the first part of that debate until I get bored. Trump didn't do any favors for himself to reach those people in the middle. Those people in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Arizona that maybe were struggling with this fact of like, oh man, policy wise, I'm probably closer to Trump. Philosophy, yeah, I'm closer to Trump. But I just struggle voting for that guy because he's just a he's just a jerk. And then he gets up there and what does he act like? He, he acted like a jerk. He acted like a you know, Joe Biden calls him a clown, right? Like there was no no benefit that came there to Trump. But why I say that's so important is a lot of those early ballots, that might have been their decision maker. Trump sprinted to the finish. If all you did was watch the news over the last seven days and you saw the rallies happening with thousands of people showing up, I don't know if we've ever seen the type of excitement that surrounds Donald Trump in a political campaign. It's unreal. The 90 mile, you know, Trump trains with trucks flying their uh, Donald Trump, make America great again flags and driving through states all over the country. I don't know if we've ever seen a politician do something like that before, but it was too late. And so I sit there and go, man, if that could have been a better performance for Donald Trump, would election night have turned out different? Possibly. Number two, let's talk about uh, the polls being so wrong. Now, I realize that uh, you know Joe Biden 
He's the winner, probably going to be the winner here, right? Uh, and so you might say, well, like the polls didn't get it wrong. The polls didn't get it wrong. They picked the right guy. But if you peel things back and look at the margins that were being predicted by the media and all the different polls, uh, and it's specifically if you look at it in different states, for example, go look at the difference between the lead of what was, uh, Trump was, or sorry, what Biden was favored in Wisconsin compared to what ended up happening. And you're like, whoa, that it wasn't even close. Or go look at Florida. And Florida all of a sudden ends up being a Trump victory of margin that is larger than it was in 2016. So here's my issue with this. First off, how come never no one ever owns up now to the fact that these polls are wrong? Like, why do we put so much weight in these polls? Why for the last six months has all we've talked about is Biden has a seven point lead and this is there. We're now twice in a row these polls have just been completely false, completely off. And no one owns up to that. No one takes some responsibility. If I'm here, like someone's got to be fired. Because what's the point of releasing this information and shoving it down America's throat for six months when it ends up being that far off? What happens is people totally lose face in the polls. I did my uh, prediction episode last week. And what did I tell you? I said, I place no weight in the polls. I have zero trust for what they're saying. And last night proved that that feeling is well-founded, that that feeling is justified. Now, the bigger problem to me with the polls in episode five, I keep talking about like the McDonald's example. There's the silent Trump voter. There's the people that eat at McDonald's, but don't want to tell anyone they eat at McDonald's. Here's the problem that that highlights for us as a nation. What happens to civil discourse? What happens to a political discussion that can actually lead to progress when half the people in our country feel that the way they're voting is something that they are going to be shamed for feeling? Why is it that there's, you know, 20% of our country that's going to go vote some way, but they don't want to tell anyone about it? Now, I know that maybe your argument right now you're making is, oh, well, that's because Trump's a racist and they don't want to show they're a racist too. The minute we start using those labels to talk about another person, uh, or to talk about a group of people, more importantly, we suddenly aren't able to have real conversation. And that's what I've tried so hard to do in this podcast, is to prove that we can talk about politics in a way that maybe someone on the other side of the aisle has a good point that you might agree with, to prove that we have more in common than we do different but also to show that when someone thinks differently than you and they disagree with you, that is not an excuse for you to shut them down, to shame them, to make them feel dumb or uneducated. And unfortunately, that's where we're at as a country right now. The polls, comparing the polls to reality of what actually happens on election night proves this problem that we have of civil discourse in our nation right now. And in fact, it's that very problem 
that gave me the whole idea to start this podcast in the first place. If you haven't listened to episode one, in episode one, you know, I basically had this idea that I was going to start this podcast. And one of the events that really just kicked me into gear in doing this was after I went to the Mount Rushmore uh, July 4th event and fireworks show at, uh, at Mount Rushmore that Donald Trump spoke at and Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, spoke at. I came home and it was an amazing event. It wasn't a rally. This was the president speaking. Now, it wasn't an election year. And of course, he's going to make himself look good. And Donald's always going to be Donald. But I, like I've said before, I would have gone to this event when I had the opportunity to go, no matter who the president was, because I respect the office of the president. I respect the four presidents on Mount Rushmore, those faces that are engraved in stone. And I love our country. What a cool way to celebrate our nation's history. So I come home, I'm feeling inspired, I'm feeling awesome, I'm feeling fired up, and I make a social post uh, on Facebook that basically says, I've been as patriotic for as long as I can remember. I talk about how George Washington was my hero at 12 years old. And I even go on to say, I know these men weren't perfect, but they set up a framework that we still get the chance to improve on and make better and get even closer to the vision and goal that they had for our nation way back when. This inspiring feel-good post. And immediately, I hadn't even hit send. It was like two minutes later, I had a message come in from someone that called me racist, that called me, I can't believe you would be sitting there with your uh, with a president that does X, Y, Z, doesn't support women, you know, that goes off on all this. I'm not going to get into how derogatory it got and how fast and ended her comment on Facebook for the world to see with Connor. I thought more of you. And it just, like, I was shocked. I remember being in this place like, wait, I... What, what are you responding to in that post I just made? All I did was come out and say, I love America. This event was really cool. I didn't even mention Donald Trump in my caption. But yet, just the thought that I was at this event listening to the president of the United States speak, who you didn't vote for and you don't agree with and you think is a racist, that is grounds for you to come after me. Now, what happened then is I watched this unhealthy political discourse happen on my own Facebook feed. It was a Sunday morning. I had these awesome pictures of F-16s flying over Mount Rushmore. I had this really inspirational post. I quoted Hamilton. It was great. And then I have friends arguing with each other, yelling at each other, calling each other names, divisive. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what did I do in this post to divide? But it's because that's what we've been conditioned to do as a nation. And here's why the polls get it so wrong. I have one experience like that with that Facebook post. And what do I say? Never making a post like that again. That's how I feel, but I'm never going to share that opinion because of those couple times I did, and I still have PTSD. I'm still recovering from being attacked. Free speech has to be afforded to everybody. It has to. And you can't 
Go after someone for the way that they feel, even, or I should say, especially if you don't agree. And unfortunately for me, when I look at what happened last night and I see, okay, here's what everyone said was going to happen. Here's what ended up did happening, did happen to me. It shows that America doesn't even want to get into that conversation. It's a scary, scary precedent to send. And it also shows there's no doubt there is a media bias and a political bias in this country for the left. And everyone wants to be a part of the winning team. That plays a role. It's the same thing of, I bet a lot of you have met a lot of new Dodgers fans recently. Now, the Dodgers are great. I got no problem with the Dodgers, right? But of course you want to be a Dodgers fan after they win the World Series. But where have you been the last 32 years? They haven't done it yet. Or they hadn't done it in the last 32 years. Where you been? But all of a sudden now you're this big old Dodgers fan. It's the same mentality, right? We want to be on the winning team. And that's where when we allow the media to dictate what we feel, what we think, that's what happens. Now, I know like I'm not calling fake news here. I realize that the precedent that is set by like saying everything is fake news means that ultimately you can trust nothing. And when you can trust nothing, that's a bad position to be in as well. When you don't trust the media that's really in a place to keep those in power in check, that's a, that's a dangerous spot. There's no doubt that like dictators love to take the press down. Like a lot of people look at the strategies Trump has taken and they say that's a dangerous president, but there's got to be a middle ground here. And it, frankly, it starts with us. It starts with people that have a more open-minded mentality. They're willing to have conversations and more importantly, willing to listen and give an ear to people that don't agree with you. Wow, that was a serious tangent. I was not planning on getting on into all of that. But like I said, this is an emotional day. I think a lot of us are there. Um, now, let's, lastly, in closing, let's talk about like the whole fraud and why I feel this is the worst possible case scenario that's happened. I got so many texts today from people saying, did you see, what did you see about the Sharpies in Arizona? Oh, what about those 189,000 votes in Michigan that just randomly showed up and appeared overnight? Oh, I even saw like social media. Oh, we found 10 ballots on the side of the road in Arizona that had been mailed in, but thrown away. And I keep getting people saying, well, what do you think of the fraud? What do you think of this? Do you think there's wrongdoing? Here's my answer. I, I don't know. My gut says that it's no surprise that politics is one of the most corrupt things ever, right? I kind of have the mentality of, I think in politics, people know if, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I think both sides are absolutely doing everything they can to get every single possible leg up that they can. I think both sides have a different way of cheating. They have different strategies of what you might call is cheating, but I, I don't know. Are there things that are fishy? Yeah, I read the same articles as you, possibly. What do I do with that? I don't know, but here's the problem. We'll never know. But what does that now create? It creates doubt in America. The president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, tweeted this a little earlier this afternoon. 
He said, our lawyers have asked for meaningful access, but what good does it do? The damage has already been done to the integrity of our system and to the presidential election itself. He may be right. I don't know. I'm not making a statement on that. You can think whatever you want. But my problem is when you tell people for six months, the only way I lose is if they cheat. And you condition hundreds of thousands of people to know that, hey, if I lose, it's because there is cheating involved. Well, what happens when you lose? You then have hundreds of thousands of people that think, well, Donald Trump said someone must have cheated. And here was the time that I was frankly most disappointed of all of last night. This was the low point for me and I think the low point for our country last night. It's when Donald Trump came out and gave a speech at 2 a.m. And he came out and he started calling fraud. He started saying, oh, they, they did this, they did that. And I'm going, well, why? There's no reason to say that yet. Why would you call fraud? Maybe you can call fraud if you have some evidence and you find stuff, which maybe they did the next day. But why is he doing that at two o'clock in the morning? And then ultimately he's placing doubt. He's confusing America. Like we're sitting there going, well, man, I, I don't know what to trust. And then making a tweet the next day, like, ah, oh, man, the integrity of our system is gone. They're trying to steal this election and we will not make it happen. He tweets that. And, and then you have the whole other issue of you've got Donald Trump's tweets being censored. I don't know what's worse. The president of the United States saying that they're stealing this. Get out there. Vigilante justice. Make sure it doesn't happen. We will not let them take this from us. Or is it worse to have a social media platform censoring the president of the United States and not only censoring the president of the United States, but censoring individuals that are posting and practicing free speech because whatever they post didn't match their community guidelines or whatever it may be. That's scary. They're both scary. And here's why I tell you this is the worst case scenario that we had possible. And it has nothing to do with who won. I think it would have been a lot better for her country to have a landslide for either candidate. Donald Trump won in a landslide. There probably would have been riots for a few days, but then we get right back to normal. Like we have for the last four years. We've all survived. Remember all those people that were going to move to Canada four years ago? Remember all those people that thought America would end the day Donald Trump got elected? Well, four years later, America's still here. And those people haven't gone to Canada. But if Biden won in a landslide, well, then we can't argue that, hell, maybe there was some fraud or this. Man, maybe we get mad at the mainstream media for affecting the polls. Maybe we get mad at how some of the mail-in ballots were counted or whatever it might be. But we don't have the chance to be like, oh, there would have been a different outcome if they would have cheated. And that's now what's about to happen. We are entering a time of more uncertainty, a time of probably more contention than ever, we can find on social media something to prove whatever we want to believe. 
And then we're going to forward that to other people that think the same way we do. And we continue to just get further and further and further apart. Expect anything different? Unfortunately, I think we kind of knew something like this was going to happen. And I think that says a lot about us as a people. I think it makes us really need to look within. In closing, I had two different listeners that I thought about last night. And it's funny because both of these are moms that listen to the podcast, that love the podcast, that send me messages frequently and reshare what I'm doing. Anna and Annie, no relation. Anna left a message on my uh, Facebook wall after episode uh, 28 that talked about the philosophy, policy, personality, and kind of creating your own rubric for picking a candidate. And she said, Connor, I loved this so much because I have a fourth grade daughter. I don't know your daughter's name, Anna. I wish I did. I'd give her a shout out on the podcast right now, but shout out to you. She said, I have a fourth grade daughter that is trying to make a decision. And so what she did is she made a pros and cons list and she used your episode to help you to help her do that. And she made pros and cons in those three columns. Man, that getting a message like that makes all of this time I put into this podcast so worth it. And then I had another listener, Annie, post a video of her son, Weston. And Weston was sitting in front of the computer last night during election day online with an interactive map and a calculator in hand, trying to find a path to victory for both candidates and seeing what was happening and watching as the states were getting called. And there's this really cute video, maybe I'll repost it, of him basically trying to find the path to victory. I love that those two, Weston's probably in about fourth grade too, they're probably both about the same age. I love that those two, Anna's daughter and Annie's son, are sitting there trying to get involved in the political process, that they care that they're educated, that they're wanting to be informed, that they're starting that now. And that's so awesome. I love it. I love that you're listening. But here's what sucks. We are conditioned to think that what happened last night is normal. We are conditioned now to think that this is how politics works. That if you don't win, it's because they stole it. That we can't trust the news because it's all fake. That anyone on the other side of things is dumb that they don't know what they're talking about. If someone supports Donald Trump, then you're a racist. See what happens here. And I think to like Weston, like I don't know what Weston's day at school was like, but I'm sure at recess there were conversations about what we're doing as a country right now. And I think all of us are given a pretty poor example. I hope that all of us just individually can step up and continue to practice the philosophies and principles that I have talked about, you know, in 30 episodes, 31 episodes of this now. I don't fully know what to think. Uh, there is no doubt that this is going to be, there are going to be recounts. It will be contested. There will be, uh, you know, legal matters that go through. Lawyers are going to swarm these places. And we are probably going to know that Joe Biden is the assumed winner 
immediately and it's going to be fought for a while. I think Donald Trump is never going to admit defeat until the day he dies. And with his example, neither will his followers. What that means for us as a country moving forward, that's to be determined. But with Donald Trump and 2020, expect anything different. Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Good luck, everybody. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you.